0: Good morning, church. Wait a second. Good morning, church. Good morning. You guys quit talking to people and meeting new people. It's like you want to be hospitable to someone next to you or something. Good morning, Sue. Good to see you. Good to see you, sister. Man, oh, man. It is great to be back here with all of you this morning. It is Sunday. That means that's it's our fun day. That's right. Amen. I love the fact that we can come and sing praises. To our awesome God, I just got to tell you, this morning's worship just wrecked me. Um, As I'm standing up front, and very thankful that I'm up front, you can't see my face as I'm crying and singing praises, because you're like, our pastors a cry baby. Um, You know, I'm sitting here listening to the words that we're singing, and I thought, God, what if we actually lived that? What if we're singing your praise, we're singing, raise a hallelujah, right? My song is a weapon, it is a melody, right? We sing in praise. What if we live that out? That when we start feeling like we're being tempted, he's on our shoulder and he's whispering in our ear, enemy's coming to the seat at our table, he doesn't belong, and we just start singing praises. You know, there's some, some days I come in and I come in, I come in the auditorium and I go up to the Uh, the sound booth, and I put a praise song on, and I just crank it to the point of the speakers are clipping. Sorry, Matt, but they're clipping, and it's so loud. I'm shaking the offices because I just need to raise a hallelujah and sing some praise and get this stuff out of my head, and then I think about the waymaker, man. He's a miracle worker. He's provider. You know, honey in the rock. Come on, right? He just blows me away. The God is a great provision, and then he's our champion, man. In Jesus, there is victory. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here singing these songs and being wrecked, and I thank God, man, just help us, not just me, help us as a church, live those lyrics out this week, all right? Let's live these lyrics out this week. We just got done singing praises. Let's start living those praises out, Amen. Amen. All right, before we get into this morning's conversation, I have a couple things I want to share with you. One, kind of just just aligns exactly with who we are as a church and what we're all about is because this past week I had that awesome opportunity to meet with a gentleman that was here last Sunday and sit on our couch in the offices as he prayed and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? And I think, so heaven rejoice, is that up there? We can show that heaven rejoice, man. This is what it's all about. If you read this passage, it says, I tell you in Luke 15... In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent, right? So what he's saying, what Luke is saying is that what Jesus was saying, this is an amazing thing. We have a whole bunch of people who accepted Jesus. That's great. But let me just tell you what makes heaven roar is when people accept Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> And that's what this church is about, more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And Charlie, his name, I don't know if he's here this morning, came in and says, listen, I've been wanting to come talk to you for days. God's been just stirring in my heart. I don't know what's going on. Let me just tell you what's going on, Charlie. He wants a relationship with you. Let me just tell you about Jesus. And he stopped and prayed and gave his life to Christ. (laughs) I'm just going to pray and close out the service. That's pretty awesome. That's what we're about. That's what this church is about, because that's what Jesus' church is supposed to be about. We lift Charlie up this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Yeah. So the next thing is not as exciting, but I got to tell you anyways. Um, the next thing is, you know, we're wrapping up the series today, Radical Hospitality. We're bringing it to a close, and we're moving on to our next series. And that next series is called Isolation. Uh-oh. Isolation. No, yeah, uh-oh. Right? <laughs> God never intended for us to do life alone. He never intended for us to do life alone. In fact, God loves and lives in community with himself. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in community itself. And he desires his creation, his special creation, which is humanity, to live in community as well. And so, you know, in, we live in a time in history where technological advancements are, are absolutely insane. Right, we have this... That this, this earth that's, I think it's 23,000 miles, someone don't fact check me on this, uh, 23,000 miles all the way around, but because of the technology we have, it makes the world feel like a golf ball, and we get so small, and we can connect with people around the world within seconds. Even without those advancements, people live in isolation. People walk in this world all alone. In fact, studies show we're more isolated now than ever. So we're going to be walking into this next series. One of our core values is you can't do life alone. You can find that core value hanging on our wall. This is one of our values that we believe is a key component of us making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this is a great series for us to be a part of. This is a great series to challenge us. You know, those of us in the room who really don't like people. Okay? Um... Here's the thing, here's the truth. Your best life is lived on the other side of meaningful relationships. Okay? So that's next week. We're kicking off that series next week. But today, we get to bring to close this series that's been absolutely challenging me, and I hope it's been challenging you, called Radical Hospitality. Radical Hospitality is this idea of the willingness for us to go through extreme measures to remove the barriers in our lives to love strangers to Jesus. That's been the thrust of, the crust, the thrust of this entire this series. For the past three weeks, we have been digging into our lives, challenging our perspectives, right? Running into the walls or barriers that we didn't even know were there, but they are, and knocking them down for kingdom purposes. Our desire as a church is to live in a world without strangers. For us to live in a world without strangers. Because when strangers become neighbors, communities are transformed. That also lines into our mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Perfectly. Transforming a community with the hope of Christ. And we can't do that if we're living in a world with a bunch of strangers. So today... We turn the page and we close this down. We're probably stepping in one of the hardest steps for us to walk through. And that is loving the unlovable. Loving the unlovable. There are going to be people in our lives that we just can't stand. They're absolutely unlovable. True serum, though, okay? There are people in your lives who can't stand you. All right? Let's just be real. But there are people in our lives, people in our past, individuals who have hurt us, people in our present, uh, people, in a, uh, fools in our future that will mistreat us. They've hurt us. They're rude. They're disrespectful. And we just can't stand them. They're, we think, like You're unlovable. I just don't even want to be around you. And our immediate reaction when we come across those people is to cast them out of our lives is to get him as far away from us as possible. But unfortunately, as I read his word, God's word, the scripture, that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not how he has called us to live radically different in a dark world. That our hatred of others, our disgust of others, our stiff arming of people who we have deemed unlovable, needs to be removed. It needs to be knocked down. Because of one simple statement that our Savior says, and it's this, love your enemies. This is going to be fun, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Hey, let's get in this. Open your Bibles, if you would. Your Bibles or your Bible apps. I hope you have your Bible with you today or your Bible app with you. Open up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to get into God's word. We're going to have a conversation about it. So it's time to write some notes and highlight some stuff. Luke's chapter 6, verse 27, we'll be getting into this morning. As we are stepping into this scripture, at Luke chapter 6 this morning, we're actually becoming eavesdroppers to a conversation that Jesus was having to his followers. At this point, Jesus had chosen the 12, those disciples that he called them, Apostles, that he was getting work with them and them, train them for the next three years. And he went down to this plains area, and it says all these people started coming to him from all these different places. They were bringing all the, the sick to be healed and a demon-possessed. And Jesus was doing his Jesus stuff. And he, he was doing his teaching as well. And then he threw out some woes and some blessings. And that gets very serious. We'll dig into that a little bit later. But then he, we start slowing down. And Jesus gets a little bit radical, and he starts telling us what's up, all right? So if you have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27, you can follow along the screen if you don't have that with you. But look at this verse 27. It says, but you who are listening, let me just stop right there. But you who are listening, Jesus talking to all those people who are right in front of the, the multitude that had come, you who are listening, let me just tell you something. There is something completely different from hearing and listening. Completely different. Just yesterday, I said, Steph, did you hear that? And it was like, ding. Just no, you're just hearing things, right? Hearing is just stuff, information flying by. Listening is actively paying attention to what's being said. Hearing is just stuff going by you. You hear noises, you hear trucks, you hear people, blah, 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 But in a conversation, you need to be listening, active, paying attention to what is being said so you can understand it. And I know that I'm not the only one who's been in a conversation with their spouse or a friend where they said, You weren't listening. That happened yesterday. I obviously wasn't. I was just hearing you. So Jesus says, You who are listening. So this morning, church, are you listening? I got two. Church, are you listening? Okay, because Jesus is talking to you. He's having a conversation with you. And this is what he says. I, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if you ask, if any, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Let's just stop there again. Just read a few verses and walking through this idea of what it means to be radical hospitable in this situation. I think it comes to this idea. Loving the unlovable requires taking the first step. Loving the unlovable requires us taking the first step. I mean, look what Jesus says. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And then he goes off and tells us how. By taking the first step. These are things we're called to do. Blessing them and praying for them. These are all action steps. We need to take the first step to truly loving the unlovable people, loving our enemies in our lives. Friends, Jesus is not appealing to the, the emotions of a person. He's not appealing to the emotions. He is calling out the will of a person. See, our emotions can be drawn out and cultivated one way or another. Man, they are just not to live our lives on. They're not foundational. They just go crazy. I know I'm not the only one that. Emotions go, <laughs> <laughs> we're all over the place. He is talking to the will of a person. Will you do this, an action? He's simply saying that those, we to love those we've deemed unlovable. And that is the first step. Is to live it out loud with our actions. Who here has heard the phrase, our actions speaks louder than words? Yeah. We can say a lot of things and do a lot of nothing. Did Jesus said we need to be action steps we need to take. Because here's the truth how we treat those that we would rather reject determines the level of love of Jesus in our souls. That hurts. How we treat those we rather reject determines the level of Jesus in our souls. So when we pull up scripture like this, and we start reading these things about what Jesus tells us we we're called to do, Jesus throws out examples of this, how we're called to live, we come to the conclusion, because of what we feel about the people around us, absolutely not. I will not love my enemy. I will not bless them, and I certainly won't pray for them, because they treat me like garbage. They don't deserve it. Or, or you can say, I'll pray for them, sure. Sure, I'll pray for them. I'll pray just like King David, right, when he was praying to God and called down the destruction on his enemies. All right, this is, this, look, this is, this is Psalm 109. It's not going to be on the screen. I want to read a little bit to you. I brought my glasses in case I can't read it. Um, it says, My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent for people who are wicked and deceitful. They have opened up their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with their lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. <laughs> this is funny. He goes on to say, They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friends. Okay, he says, Appoint. Appoint. I just told you, God, how good I am. And he goes, Appoint someone someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let them be accused. Let the accuser stand at his, their right hand. When, when he is tired, let him be found guilty. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. May the, his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless. May his wife be a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their homes, their ruined homes. May the creditors seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits from their labor. May no one extend kindness to him and take pity on the fatherless children. This is what David is calling on his enemies. This is what we would call out on our enemies. And we read verses like this where Jesus says, listen, love your enemies, pray for them, bless them. We think, man, Jesus, you just, you're just you just off your rocker. And I'm right there with you when it comes up those times. I, I think, come on, really? I'd rather just call out this prayer like David just rattled off. That's the kind of praying that I want to do. Well, that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this series. And by the way, that slap and the cheek and turn it doesn't mean we let ourselves become physical or verbal or spiritual doormats in someone's life. It makes you really clear with that. Jesus would never accept that. What he's saying is, don't respond or react like the world. Don't be acting like how you were just treated. In fact, he goes on, Jesus just throws down this phrase that crushes any internal instinct that we may have to retaliate. In verse 21, he says, listen, listen, church. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Boom! Oh! There goes all my backlash right there, right? Come on. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Think about this. How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? Then think about how you want to treat the unlovable in your life. Do those two match? The answer is no, most times. Let me just ask, did you like being treated poorly? Did you like being treated when someone hurt you? Was disrespectful or rude or hurt you emotionally? Did you like that? If the answer is no, then we have our answer how we are called to respond. Because any other action would just elevate the situation to another step further in the problem, right? And what does that tell those who are interacting that don't know Jesus? It tells them Jesus really doesn't change anything. Because we're just like them. We're not radically different. You know, years ago, uh, we were living in, in upstate New York. We had a neighbor, her, neighbor was, her name was Barb, and she had five Pomeranians, um, and those things were absolutely just mean. They were just mean. If you have a Pomeranian, I apologize in advance. Right, those things are just mean dogs. I think about this story I'm going to tell you, and I think about a movie like Superman Returns or something like that, and there was these two Pomeranians that left for a while, and they came back to see them, and there was one Pomeranian. Because one ate the other, all right? That's what I think about these Pomeranians, right? So she had five Pomeranians. And one day, they were taking these little demons to the plant, I mean, dogs, dogs to the, to the fenced in area out back. And Riley, Riley, I think he was like five or six years old, this little boy, he was out playing and having his own good old time. And what happened when they came out, they, they started running at Riley. Started, they came over into our property and started chasing Riley to the point that he ran up next to our pool and jumped hold that fence and pulled himself up and he was sitting there holding and screaming. He was this little boy, right? And then he had these little animals just nipping and barking and going after him. I'm like, what's going on? And so as you can imagine, I went outside and saw this taking place. And eventually they pulled these things together and they put them in the pen. (laughs) And I walked over. I walked over to my neighbor Barb and I started having a a conversation with her about what just took place. And I'm going to tell you, she started barking at me like the dogs. (laughs) Okay, she's not actually barking, roof, roof, roof. And she was like, (laughs) and she just starts ripping into me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then... Then she looked me square in the face, and she said, well, if your son wasn't such a pansy. And all I heard after that is blah, 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 <laughs> Remember, Riley was this little boy it was playing out in his backyard, and my heart Started racing. I had beads of sweat beating up and running down my face because my blood was boiling. It took everything inside of me not to explode on this lady and who didn't care, I didn't care anything about her rats in my yard. Okay? But she decided to verbally cut down my son to make herself. Feel better. Trust me, church. Every corner, darkest portion, parts of my heart was ready to come out and unleash gods of war on this woman. Man, I was ready to do the verbal lashing. I was getting ready to do the karate kick crane. I mean, I mean, here we go. I was so, so Angry. But then just that moment, God reminded me, I need to love my neighbor. It's God, right? What? Yeah. Love your neighbor. And loving her requires action, not reaction. And I said, listen, Barb, I get it. Tom bringing these people these dogs out, it takes a lot for him to put them out in the pen but taking shots at my son really doesn't do us any good it doesn't help our, our friendship what do we can do what can we do to help make this better, should we get to know the dogs better, should we, when they come over can we play with them so they don't bite them you know, can we, what can we do to walk through this and we walked away And Barb went from a stranger to a neighbor. We had a lot of fun the next couple years, just chit-chatting, talking, and engaging. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're called to do. And as it wasn't easy, because as I walked away from that conversation, walked to the back of our house, and I said, "Thank you, Jesus." I know that wasn't me. That was all you. Love my neighbor. So Jesus hasn't done that. He just digs a little bit further. He gets a little bit further in our face when we walk through this. Look at verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend from those who expect repayment, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Right? We, we, so we need to understand it's loving and we need to take the first step. Loving the unlovable, we need to take the first step. The next idea is this. Loving the unlovable means loving those not like me. Loving those who are not like me. Me. And I get this. Man, this sounds simple in idea form, but practically living it out is so much harder. Every one of us in this room, man, we have circles that we keep, people that we allow into our lives that we are friendly with and friendly to. Anyone outside those circles are, in essence, strangers to us, and we treat strangers differently. We identify with our kind, and we are kind to those who are kind, and we show our, and express our kindness. That, that's right, right? Here's what we normally unsay to those who are not in our circles. They're not my mother. They're not my sister. They're not my wife. They're not my daughter. They're not my friend. They're not my neighbor. There's someone else's mother, there's someone else's sister, someone else's wife, someone's daughter, someone else's neighbor. So if someone cares about them, it's just not me. Jesus, who is our life, has called us to be different. He has called us to be set apart. To so those we're trying to reach with the message of hope, look into our lives and look how we're reacting. Look how we're treating the people that are unlovable and says, what is different about you? How are you able to do that? Why would you even think about that? We can stop and say, because Jesus told us to do that. Jesus said so. He has radically changed my life. And I believe the people and the person in front of me, their lives can radically change too. Because the gospel is just not for me. There's no benefit for those who have been saved by grace not to extend the same grace that we received ourselves. Let me just share an example of how we we don't live this out. Imagine for a moment that... uh, you have a friend, one of your friends is working in the food industry, and they took a job and started waiting tables at a local restaurant. Has anybody in this room worked in the food industry at a restaurant? Okay, so you know, what, I'm going to say this. You have to be a little bit right A normal to work in the food industry. Be, work in the, I worked as a chef for 10 years, and a little bit crazy, right? So you have, to, you have to work that out, and you have this person who jumps in this world, and they got this job waiting tables. And they tell you, so listen, man, I have I finished my training. I would really love for you to come and check it out and be a part of the service, you know, see what it's all about and, and encourage me. So you're like, yeah, I'll go. We'll go check it out. You accept the invite. But as you show up, you recognize that your friend is having one of those nights, right? They're having one of those nights. If you've ever waited table, the phrase is, is called being in the weeds, Right? Does we know what that means. I'm going to explain it. It simply means being buried, being overwhelmed with tables, timing on your, the food is all messed up, orders are becoming out messed up, and it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and you're in the weeds, you're just frazzled, 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 and you recognize your friend's having one of those nights, and your friend comes over and say, hey, listen, guys, listen, listen I'm sorry, uh, uh, your food's taking a little bit longer, it'll be out a little bit, It's going to be delayed. What's our immediate response when that happens? Oh, that's okay. We understand. We get it. And then your food comes out, right? And it's not right. You're like, hey, Joe, you know, here it is. It's all right, man, I get it. You're having one of those nights. We got you. Keep it up. Keep up the good work, right? We're really encouraging. Now I want you to imagine something different that you're going to the restaurant and the waiter comes over and you have no no clue who that person is. Maybe it's a night out with your family. Maybe, Maybe you're out on a date with your wife. Husbands, date your wives, okay? Date your wives. As the restaurant experience starts, you're barely aware that your waiter or waitress is all stressed out and they're in the weeds. But you do recognize that the drinks are slow to get to your table. You do start stewing inside because your food is taking a little longer, and you're longer hungry. You're hangry, right? We've all been there. You do realize when the food gets to your table that you put a what's called a hold order in, man. You ordered a menu item, and you want to change. And they realize that when the food got there, either she or he didn't put the hold order in to change it, or the cooks didn't pay attention, so the food gets to your table, and it's not right. You do realize when you take a bite of your bacon cheeseburger, that it's never cooked right. And when you do recognize that all these things are not going the way that you would perceive, so what starts happening Does anybody experience this? Am I the only one? Show me. Come on. Show me. Yeah, all right. Pretty much everybody in the room. What's happening to you as you're walking through this experience? You stop looking at your waiter or waitress when they come to the table. Your conversational tone with them changes. Your comments to them become way more assertive. And the whole time, baby, the tip is shrinking or becoming non-existent. I'm ashamed to say that I have mid verbally saying out loud in front of my family at one point, or a couple points in my life, there goes their tip. In fact, this past Friday, oh boy. This past Friday, Steph and I went out to dinner before we went into the Golden Aces football game. Amazing game. Um, We went to to a restaurant, I'm not going to say the name, and we could easily tell right up front that our waitress had no experience. None. Right? And the tables that came in after us received their drinks before she even came to our table. And we're just sitting there, and I just started snickering because I knew what I was talking about this morning. Like, okay, 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 pull it together, Rich. Pull it together. And I started laughing, and Steph looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm thinking about what I'm preaching about this Sunday, and I've got to pull this together. So when she came to our table, I asked her her name, engaged in conversation. I had her smiling and laughing, and, you know, things didn't go near what we wanted, but it's all right. Let's look at this. Two different people going through the exact same situation. They were both in the weeds. We received the exact same experience. The only difference was what church. Is one person we knew. They were our kind. They were in our circles. The other was a stranger. But the big but is how we treated them was radically different. That's a clear example. Of how we need to move past being kind to our kind. Loving the unlovable seems to be a pillar of a relationship and walking with Jesus Christ, right, as a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you were to go back and read your Bible, there it is, right, read your Bible, go open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, identify who Jesus ate meals with, I think it would be a radical eye opener for many of us in this room. See, Jesus ate with his friends, his disciples, 50% of the time. Jesus roughly ate 25%. He ate with meals that were prospects, those he was talking about, the kingdom of God. And then 25%, the other 25%, he dined with his enemies, people who absolutely rejected who he was and why he was there. Crazy, right? We need to love the unlovable, those who are not like me. Jesus is not done. Let's finish reading this. He says in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend them without expecting anything back, and your reward will be great, and you, your children of the most high, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked to be merciful to those your father is, is merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. So, as you read these last couple verses, it's very, very clear what Jesus is illustrating and showing us an example of is that loving the unlovable makes me more like Jesus. We need to take the first step, we need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to step into the world and be kind and love on those who are not like me. And then what we're doing as we're walking through that process, we're becoming more like Jesus. I mean, that's the goal. That's the goal of anyone who's a follower of Jesus, to become more like Christ and less like the world. And when you and I, when we move beyond the barriers deep within us, creating a world without strangers, we continue to show ourselves we are children of the Most High. And it becomes tangible evidence in our lives that our lives have been changed. Not just our lives, but our heart has been changed. Just as He is kind to the ungrateful, to the wicked. We are to be kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Just as he is merciful, we are to be merciful. And I love that Jesus ends with mercy because it is a reminder to us firsthand of the mercy that we received. Not giving us what we deserve, that is mercy that Jesus has shown us, God has shown us every single day of our lives. And the more we become like Jesus, the more influence our gospel-driven lives will have when those around us, Focus, you know, more, more influence will have in the gospel-driven lives with our classmates. You know, that you're in school and there's people that are unlovable in, in your class or in your gym class or in, even in the cafeteria. When you start loving unlovable right in front of them, the, the school is gonna see something different in you, students. The teachers will see something different in you. Your influence for the gospel goes beyond your peers in your class. It goes all those around you. The same goes for work. When you love the unlovable, the person that no one wants to talk to because they're grumpy mumpy every day. How are you today? The influence you have in your office space in your workspace, because you refuse to be like the world, and you choose to be more like Jesus. How about our community? Your neighbor? I can't believe that I'm the only one who has a barb in their life. What are you going to do? Let the gospel weave into the very fabric and culture of who we are. And let it bleed through this entire community. And let it always be a reminder to us that every person has a name and every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And there's a reason... There's a reason why God decided to bring that person's story across your story. You just have to choose. Am I reject the world what it says I should do? How I should react or am I going to choose to love like Jesus? I mean think about this church. The thing is if we stripped everything we do away here away stripped it all away, all the lights and the sound and the the amazing worship and all that kind of stuff. Would Jesus be enough? Living and loving like Jesus, would that be enough? Just come in and hear his word and choose and decide and put our feet in the ground and say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to live about. This is what this church is about. Would that be enough? Absolutely yes. because that's what this book says and that should be our target nothing less radical hospitality going through extreme measures to remove the barriers in our lives to love strangers loving them to the cross loving them the Jesus. Yes. That is the mission of our church. And if you're in this room and you have said yes to Jesus, he's your Lord and Savior, that is your mission too. I say we live it out. I say we live it out and see how God can radically transform this community. Hobstadt, Owensville, I'm going to forget some places. Gibson County, Wabash County, you name it. We serve a big God. He may want to transform. How about the whole world? There. I, I can't miss that. I say, we do it. And I ask you, will you join me? Will you join me? Yes. All right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for blessing so much through your son, Jesus Christ. God, this series, Radical Hospitality, has been radically challenging even in my own life. I can't imagine what we're walking through as a church. That I have my own barriers in place that need to be knocked down. That I have unlovable people in my life that I just need to love. Why? Because you said so, that's why. And what you say is truth. Just because it's hard to hear, hard to live, doesn't mean it's any less true. So God, I pray for us as a church. I pray as we step out these walls and interact with the world, And you have people in their lives who are far from you. God, empower this church. Empower these people. Encourage them. Let them draw their strength from you. Let them step outside of their comfort zone. Lord, help them do something that's radically disproportionate to who they are for the kingdom of God. For your kingdom. There's too many people around us, Lord, and you know that that are far from you, and if they'd died today, they'd end up in a place that's absolutely horrible called hell. So help us see the vision that is far greater than ourselves. And lay, lay it all down at your feet and start living radically for you. I pray, Lord, that this week you will bring someone into the lives of each and every person in this room who needs to hear the love of Jesus. That we're not walking away with just your teaching, but you're gonna give us actionable steps to actually live it out. Because I believe that's what your heart desires, Lord. And right now I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward And I clearly understand that we live in a world that's hard and tough. And we take hits and shots all day long, every day. And I want to encourage you, if you're walking through some things right now that you just can't reconcile in your heart and you just need to be lifted up, I want to encourage you after we're done, come forward and be prayed with and prayed over. Open your heart to the truth of what's going on and let us lift you up before God Almighty himself. We believe in the power of prayer and the people that are up front want to invest in your life. We are the body of Christ. When one person suffers, we all suffer. When one person rejoices, like when Charlie accepted Christ, we all rejoice. But come forward, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless, church. Have an amazing week. Love you.